Our scripture this morning is in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, and 13 and 14. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When it comes to reasons why someone might decide to become a camp counselor, I can tell you it's not the 26 cents an hour you earn. You know, you get food and shelter and everything for the week, plus you work technically 22 hours a day. And yes, there are the odd person here and there that the reason they want to be a camp counselor is because their boyfriend or girlfriend or crush also is a camp counselor. No, really, the reason people choose to do that job is because they love camp. Often they've had a counselor in their past that really made a difference in their lives, and they, they want to, to pass that on, to pass it on to the next generation. It's a way of working with the next generation, the next group of kids as they grow. It's a way of, of being in ministry at the age of 18, which isn't always easy. It's a way of showing your love for God, for the church, for the wilderness. But there is a story that I think is important for every camp counselor, especially first year, to hear. And it's important enough, I think we need to hear it too. Now it goes along these lines. Whenever a group of campers come to Camp Blue Diamond, and honestly, most church camps, or most uh, Church of the Brethren church camps, they aren't kept in one large group. They're broken into cabin units. We call them family units. It's family-styled camping. And as long as the numbers allow, the units are usually half male and half female. The boys get a cabin with a male counselor. The girls get a cabin with a female counselor. And those counselors work as kind of the pseudo-mom and dad for the week. They are both in charge. And as I said, you work 22 hours a day. That means you sleep in the cabin with the kids, and then you're with them all day except for a two-hour break. This usually works out well, but not always. As it happened for Ginger and Paul, and a camper named Pat, not his real name. Now, Pat did not like to listen to Ginger. And it wasn't just Ginger, it was any female staff member, whether it be the, 
the people who made lunch and breakfast and dinner, whether it was the school, the school nurse, the camp nurse for that week, or the arts and crafts director. He didn't listen to them. He would listen to Paul, but not well. He wasn't having a good time. You know, there's two kinds of you don't have a good time. There's the good time, you don't have a good time because you just don't, which never happens at Camp Blue Diamond. Or you don't have a good time because you choose not to have a good time. That was definitely Pat. Now, he was in third, fourth, or fifth grade. I can only remember that because I know it was a junior camp. And Paul decided he was going to try and fix this problem. So on Tuesday, so after a day and a half of camp, he sat down with Pat at Arts and Crafts. I know this must have been the early 90s because they made leather wallets. They only did that in the 90s. After that, it kind of stopped doing leather work. He sat down with them, and together they worked on a wallet, and they talked, and he got to know Pat. And he started to bring Pat out of his shell. This was maybe one of the first things Pat had ever done, where he did it, and he was impressed by his own work. It built in him confidence. And it started to turn his week around, and he was happier with it. He was happier to be at camp. He was happier to be around other kids. I won't say he was the perfect camper still. He was still hard for the female camp um, staff to handle. But he was a lot better. Well, as it always happens, the week comes to an end. It was early 90s, so I know it was a Saturday morning. And... The kids had finished up breakfast, they had gone down, packed all their stuff, cleaned their cabins, and were car carried it back up to the lodge and were sitting around in their groups, waiting for moms and dads for pickup. Pat looked up and he saw his mother walking up the road. He reached down into his bag and grabbed out his wallet. That wallet he had worked so hard on. This thing that he was so proud of. And he ran down the road with outstretched arms holding the wallet in his hand. And his mother looked at him and said, grab your, I'm not going to repeat the word, it's time to go. Get in the car. Pat was crushed. Paul was crushed. All the staff who saw it were crushed. Paul even went off to a quiet place so he could cry. His heart ached, not only for all the work he had put in and watching this young child's spirit be crushed, but also because he knew that where he was going, it wouldn't soar again for a while. A counselor's authority begins when the parent leaves and ends when they return. And yes, that week, their, their being there can be a powerful influence that can shape a child's life. But the harsh reality is, you never know. Or at least nine times out of ten. That work you've done, those smiles you brought to the child's face, they may have been useless. 
and I wish I could end this story on a happy note. I actually called my mom because I wanted to know what happened. She remembered Pat. Now, mind you, this was like 93. So this is only like the second year my mom was a camp director. And she not only remembered who he was, he re she remembered his last name. She remembered a lot of story, a lot of information. I don't know how she does it. I mean, literally thousands of people have come through the doors while she was a camp director. But she remembered him. And she remembered the end of the story, which is he stopped coming to camp about a year or so later. We don't know what happened after that. We don't like those kinds of stories, the ones that are left hanging, the ones that have no good conclusion. But it's important to hear, to know that we have limitations. It's important for camp counselors. It's important for us here today. I know I get up here every Sunday and I, I read from Scripture and then I elaborate on it. I lift up from history from events, from people's lives, trying to connect it to how it's lived in reality. I touch on science, linguistics. I love storytelling. I know that comes up a lot. In the hope of bringing us closer to God, of helping us be the living members of the kingdom of God here today. But like new counselors, we sometimes have to be reminded that we have limitations. That while we can have faith in ourselves, faith in one another, faith in this gathering, ultimately, it is God that we must put our full faith in because only God can make things right. We are in exile. We exist in a world between homes. If you want to read the Bible this way, the whole Bible is an exile story. Beginning with the, be beginning, with the beginning, the creation. The creator speaks this world into being with the word, logos. And gives life to dust with the breath, pneuma, spirit. Humans, though, humans disobey. Humans break the relationship with God and are cast from their home, the paradise of Eden. Eventually, God tries to form new covenants, the first one being after the great flood. God gives Noah a promise, I will never flood again this earth. And in return, you may eat the animals now if you wish. Yeah, apparently, if you read the scriptures, Humans were not supposed to eat animals until after the great flood. You may eat animals as long as you drain blood and as long as you do not kill humans. But again and again, covenants are made and broken. Instead of coming closer to God, instead of returning to paradise, we find ourselves choosing the life of a nomad moving from place to place, looking in this world for a home that does not exist. Now, in the very middle of the Bible, we find this exile story again, a smaller version that kind of is repeated by the entire Bible. 
It's called the Babylonian exile. Just as Adam and Eve had been given paradise, but lost it due to unfaithfulness to God and driven out into the wilderness, so the Israelites are given the prosperous promised land, but lose it because of their unfaithfulness, and now find themselves exiled into the wilderness of Babylon. They have, for all intents and purposes, returned to the beginning. They have drawn the card that says, go to go, do not collect 200. I'll come back to that. You see, it's during this period that the Bible actually starts to form. Scriptures, even whole books, have existed at least as far back as the Exodus, if not farther. And before that, we know that the stories have been handed down, um, handed down uh, by oral tradition. But as they are in the exile, so begins the tradition of gathering these stories into books and then gathering these books into the Bible. You know, things like taking 150 different free-floating songs of praise of God and putting them in a single book we call Psalms. Genesis was another book like that. So many stories floating around. But while in the exile, they put them together so they could share them as the community had been spread out across the land. And one of those stories spoke to their souls enough they felt they had to include it. It's just 11 short verses stuck in between Noah and Abraham. In humanity's arrogance... They attempt to build a great tower to raise their name, and God punishes them by giving them different tongues. Now, as they no longer can understand one another, they are forced to part, to leave. And that place is then given the Hebrew name Babel, meaning jumbled, confused. Now, that name has continued down through history. Though the people who live there claim it means something else, the Hebrews, the Israelites, understand that the name Babylon is just another retelling of the name Babel. Because, after all, it was in its shadow that Abraham had been born, a place that we know as Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur's disappeared. We have no idea where Ur is. But the Chaldeans, that's the land of Mesopotamia. After Abraham left, Babylon rose to become a great empire under a man who we all remember as Hammurabi. He had a code. It fell while the Israelites were in Egypt. After centuries of being conquered and reconquered, it rebelled against the Assyrian Empire and rose to become what we write down as the Neo-Babylonian Empire. But its technical name is the Chaldean Empire. It was they who subjugated and later destroyed Judah. It was they who brought away Judah's people into exile. And so the descendants of Abraham found themselves in the land that God had led their ancestor away from. Essentially, the story of their travels, of Abraham leaving, going to the promised land of his wanderings, of Joseph down into Egypt, of the 
Israelites coming out of Egypt and conquering the land, they were back where they started. All of it for naught. And so they looked at these Babylonians. These people whose ancestors, they say, built this great tower because of their arrogance. And they saw that arrogance was still there. Now one of their people, one of these people in exile we know as the nobleman Daniel. He has been given a gift. Just like, Josh, or just like Joseph who managed to lead his people into safety, so he will lead his people into safety because God allows him to interpret dreams. He learns that Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. And Nebuchadnezzar makes a really unreasonable request. I mean, as far as unreasonable requests go, this one's pretty bad. Not only does he want his wise men to come and interpret his dream for them, for him, he wants them to tell him what his dream was about in the first place. That's right. I want you to tell me all about my dream that I haven't told you about. Ouch. Daniel goes and he tells the king. This is in 2 Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly iron, partly baked clay. While you were watching, the rock was, a rock was cut, not by human hands. It struck the statue of its, um, the struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed it. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all were broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock, the rocks that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel goes on to interpret this dream. Nebuchadnezzar, your empire is the golden head, given dominion by God over the lands, animals, and people. It will be replaced, though, by another kingdom, who will be great, but not as splendorous as yours, which will then be replaced by another who is even less splendorous. Then another who is as strong as iron, who will break anything it comes into contact with. And finally, one that is weak. It has iron in it, but it's mostly clay. And it will be destroyed by a rock, a rock that would be God's kingdom, that will eclipse and erase all that came before. This chapter is really interesting. The book of Daniel is really interesting for a couple of things. But one of them being is Daniel is writing this, starting in chapter 2 in Aramaic, not Hebrew. Most of the Bible is in Hebrew, or the Hebrew Bible is in Hebrew. And the first chapter is in Hebrew. But here he switches. And Aramaic is like the trade language. This is the one that, you know, if I could speak Hebrew, but I go up to Tyre, you know, I'm not going to probably find anyone who speaks Hebrew, but I'll probably find at least a few people who speak Aramaic. 
And the same if I go to Babylon or I go to any other place. There's always people who can speak Aramaic. By the time Jesus is walking, Aramaic is the chief language. And Hebrew is that strange language that the Hebrews speak when they're reading scripture. But chapter 2 through 7 is written in Aramaic. And it creates what is called a chiism. A chi is a Greek letter for X. And if you lined it up, it forms. So the first and the last match each other. And then the second to the next to the last match each other. And so forth on in until you kind of form a sideways pyramid. As if you were building it into the side of a chi. The first and last. Second and seventh chapter in Aramaic. That is written talking about what is coming. The kingdoms of now, the kingdoms that will come, and what will happen to them. The next two chapters, so then it would be the third chapter and the sixth chapter, they're matching each other, are stories in which God steps in and saves those who have faith in him, those who are humble. This is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And the pinnacle, the most extreme, the middle sections, are the story I told the kids earlier about uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who thinks himself the king who has done everything by his own power and loses it for a grief time. And his son, Belshazzar, who also believes he has everything and done everything, but he actually loses it all forever because he refuses to repent. He writes all of this in Aramaic, a language so that everyone who hears it, everyone who encounters it can understand it. But then he switches back into Hebrew after today's scripture reading as he wants to talk to just the Jews. He wants them to understand their part of the story. Daniel is looking at the future of everyone in the area, and then he looks to just what the Jews need to know. Yeah, sorry. Just what he needs to know. Now, sorry, I've completely lost my train of thought there. As we explored last week, what happens after this is the people return from the exile. In fact, right after this, Daniel has a huge prayer in which he prays to God saying, you know, Lord, he said to Jeremiah, we're only going to be here 70 years. 70 years is up. And Gabriel appears and informs that the people have continued to sin. And so God would continue the exile for not 70 years, but seven times 70, which you know, these are all holy numbers. And so the exile will continue. They may return to the promised land, but it will not be the land that they once had. As we see under Nehemiah, under Ezra, they do return. It's not what they thought it would be. Instead, they continue to live in exile. We don't see the end of the exile from paradise, though. Instead, we have to read forward. 
We have to read forward all the way to the last book, written by John of Patmos. We call it Revelation. John takes some of the, sees some of these same visions as Daniel, and he takes them and he puts them to, in a new context as he has seen how the world changed, as he has his own dreams. But for both of them, both of them, it isn't that the exile finishes. I'm sorry. It's not that the exile finishes. I am really off today. I'm so sorry, folks. <laughs> it isn't that the exile finishes because of the things the people do. Because what we see over and over again is that humans break that. You know, Daniel wrote that piece in Aramaic while the rest is written in, he in Hebrew, I think for this specific reason. Because the ancient Jews understood that there is actually a whole series of covenants. There's the covenant that is made with everyone who is the descendant of Noah. That is all peoples. There is the covenant that is made with just Abraham's descendants, which is not just the Hebrews, but the Edomites and a whole number of other people. There is the, uh, the covenant then that is made with Moses at the Mount Sinai. There is a series of covenants, and every person is expected to come back into covenant in order to end the exile. But we humans are flawed. It doesn't matter whether we get the text or not. We still fail. And so God provides an emergency button, a backup shoot, if you would. Just as, the Bible, just as that first section was a chiism, building towards the middle and then building back out so we can see the chiasm go the separate way. God creates all things. God creates all things with the word. And after the word, life is breathed into this world, the Holy Spirit. The people enter exile and they travel farther and farther and farther away until we reach the extreme point. The extreme point in which everything must turn around. And that's when Jesus comes. Jesus comes and then the spirit starts working again through the people. And then eventually Jesus will return in full glory as the Logos. And then eventually the father will come to the creator. We have built all the way away from God and we are working our way back now. We have things that we can do this day. We have things that we can do that make this world a little better. Just like Paul, my friend, the counselor. But we have to accept that sometimes we won't make it all the way. And rather, what we need to do is rely in God. Because God is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. If you could, could you throw back up that slide picture I had? The other one with the image. Thanks. I always think of this place. You probably have never seen it. It's called Pulpit Rock. And it sits on what used to be Route 22, U.S. Route 22, between Alexandria 
in Huntington, Pennsylvania. It's now officially called Alexandria Pike because they made a bigger road. It's now 22. I think of this place. A set of rocks that look like a set of pulpits. Because I think of that first time, that beginning, where God stands there and talks to us, preaches, teaches, brings us into community with him. Right now, the rock, the pulpit lies abandoned, but standing strong. It, will be, it was there before I was born, and as long as no developers get to it, it'll be there when I die. One day, the pulpit will be filled again. It was there during the Alpha, it'll be there during the Omega. And God will stand behind it and bring us back into community. Daniel foresaw this. Daniel foresaw that we humans can try our best, but the kingdoms we build, the world we build, will only ever be so strong. About as strong as iron mixed with clay. But one day, the Son of Man will return and set everything right. So, I know it can be disheartening. Today is the last Sunday of our year. Next Sunday is New Year's for the church. We have gone another year in which, when we reach the end, Jesus has not come back. We are all not perfect, and this world continues to be a topsy-turvy mess. I don't see any disagreement on anyone's faces. That's good. We're on the same page with that. That's okay. Because we begin the year with Jesus coming. And we end the year with Jesus coming. So as we prepare to wait for the birth of the Christ child, let us also end this year with the expectancy that Jesus will renew this world. It's coming. It's coming. We have been through the Alpha. We're waiting for the Omega. Thank you. Don't want to leave this on a sad note, so I will tell you one other story of a young girl named Crystal, who I remember as a camper. Crystal came as the situ same situation as Pat. It was a hard life, one that was often struggles with money, struggles with anger in the family. Crystal's story, I know how it ends because before my parents left, she came to visit camp and rent a cabin for the weekend. Her life has turned around, thanks to the work of staff members and counselors who loved her. It started a journey for her. The work we do is important. Don't get me wrong. It changes the world, and we are called by Christ to do it. But when things don't work out right, don't give up. Don't look at the world and say, there's nothing, nothing to redeem it. 
because Jesus is coming. The Omega is coming. When God's throne will be opened up and he will hand over authority to the Son and the Son will make all things right again. So let us work and look forward to the Omega. Amen.